I would like to wrap up this series on transformation. In this last message on the subject, I want to revisit the verse that set the initial basis for this series a few weeks back. The Apostle Paul, in the 12th chapter of his letter to the church at Rome, writes foundational guiding words on living a life of transformation. I don't know if you're tired of the verse by now. Tough. <laughs> Romans 12.1. Read along. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We've talked about and we've considered some of the principles of these verses. Living sacrifice. True and proper worship. Not conforming to the world's patterns. Transformed thinking. A renewed mind. This morning I'd like to, us to consider the last phrase of verse 2. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Seeking the will of God in our lives is the next building block in transformation. Once we have begun to align ourselves with the Word of God, as we talked about last week, the God-breathed Word, we will make progress toward finding God's good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives. Did you catch that? Once we have begun that alignment into God's Word, then finding out what God has for us is going to naturally follow. I believe that the effort, the search, the mission of finding God's will for our lives is the most noble of pursuits. It is the most rewarding of vocations. It is a lifelong quest. The Bible speaks here about understanding the perfect will of God. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you may, you may prove what the will of God is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a will of God for your life, my friend. It is perfect. From the time you are born again, from the time you have given your life to Christ, Till the end of your appointed days on earth, God has chalked out, mapped out, marked out, 
and prepared a perfect blueprint, a perfect plan for every detail of your life, where you should live, who you should marry, what you should do, what your earthly occupation should be, what all your trials you should go through and all your temptations you should face, what ministry you should have in the body. God has a perfect plan for your life. These are all part of God's plan for your life. And you will never know or fulfill that plan unless you have a desire for it. You will never know the beauty and the blessing of the perfect will of God for your life unless you desire it and you seek it. God doesn't force anyone to walk in his plan. Our loving God guides us, however, into his perfect will if we will just seek it and seek him. Seeking the perfect will of God is seeking him, is aligning with his word. God's perfect plan for us is something that is for our welfare. It is that which is the very best for us. Therefore, if you are a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you will seek his plan in every area of your life. <laughs> At times, God's will does not seem to us to be good or acceptable or perfect. If his will includes suffering, or if it doesn't make any sense to us, we question it. few examples. When God called Moses to go to Egypt and rescue the Israelites, he questioned God's will, wondering if the people would believe him. Moses gave excuses for why he couldn't do it, saying he was not eloquent of speech. You got the wrong guy. God reminded Moses that he made man's mouth and that he would help Moses speak and he would teach Moses what to say. God's will as revealed to Joshua probably didn't seem to be good and, and pleasing and perfect either. What human sense did it make to walk around Jericho for seven days? <laughs> What sense did it make for the widow of Zarephath to give Elijah her last meal? For Naaman to bathe in the Jordan River seven times? For Peter to cast his net on the other side of the boat after a night of fishing in vain? When Jesus revealed his will that the disciples were about to feed 5,000 people, Philip responded, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to have a small bite. Jesus told the people at Lazarus' tomb to roll away the stone, a seemingly pointless thing to do since Lazarus had been dead for four days. Sometimes it appears 
that the perfect will of God doesn't look so perfect to us. In each of these cases, people obeyed the Lord with the result that God's plan, listen, with the result that God's plan was fulfilled perfectly. In our limited thinking, in our limited strength, in our limited insight, God's will seems strange sometimes, but it truly is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to point out the very important bridge word in our text. The word is then. Say then. Begins in the second sentence of verse 2 in Romans 12. It says then. The meaning being, once something is in place or established in our mind, we can move to the next thought. Okay? The word then is there as a bridge from what was previously discussed to what we're about to discuss. I told you that, so I can tell you this. Huh? A bridge word, brother dude, amen. So what was the previous thought? The previous thought was transformation by the renewing of our mind. Was Paul's previous thought in this passage in Romans 12. Once that starts taking place, once our mind is renewed, once we start thinking differently, then. So I want to say to you this morning that if you don't care about thinking differently, if your mind hasn't been transformed, if you're not so concerned about a transformed life and a renewed mind, then you can either go home or just pay no attention to what I'm about to say for the rest of the day. <laughs> because it says, then. A transformed mind is a launching pad into the discovery of God's perfect will for your life. Amen. It's a launching pad. So then, then what? <laughs> then what? Any of you ever say, then what? Sure, sure. Well, first, point one. First, we are able to test. First, we are able to test. There is a bit of a process in testing something, isn't there? Let's say an opportunity comes your way. Maybe a job. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a ministry opportunity. Paul here urges us to test the situation and see if it is God's will. Let's think of testing something in this context. Testing something. What do we know about this opportunity? 
How does it fit into where I am right now in life? What impact on the future will this have? Let me share a few thoughts regarding this step and process of testing. The first part of testing is examination. This may be the most practical sermon I've preached since I've been here. The first part of testing is examination. A good, thorough look at the situation. Significant life decisions demand thorough examination. I said, significant life decisions demand thorough examination. Quick and rash decisions many times end up with unseen consequences. You know what I'm talking about. Now remember, remember, you can't change the past, but you can change the future. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. Listen, don't allow past mistakes, past failures, past situations to cloud what God wants you to do moving forward in your future. Do you know someone that's trapped in their past that can't move forward to spite themselves? Friend, the past is the past. God has put forward to you a future. We're going to read a beautiful verse about that in a few minutes. Don't allow past mistakes to cloud what God wants you to do now and in your future. In Philippians 3, Paul says this, But one thing I do, forgetting, say forgetting, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. I set the past aside and I strive forward into the future. Yeah. Testing. Testing. Another part of the testing process. What is God saying to me about this? Last week we looked at the role of the Word of God in transformation. The renewing of our minds, the alignment with the Word. Remember this about making life choices. God's will never goes against God's word. God's will never goes against his word. The most important test that you can apply to a situation or a decision is if it lines up with God, what God teaches in his word. That's the most important test. Does the Bible, ask yourself this, does the Bible give any direct guidance about the situation you are facing? Ask yourself that. Does any principle spelled out in the Bible apply to this situation? Did anyone in the Bible ever face a similar situation? And if so, how did they deal with it? 
We can even learn from some of the wrong decisions that some of them made in the Bible. Amen. So discerning God's will must involve God's word. Billy Graham wrote this. You cannot separate God's will from God's word. God's will is God's word, and God's word is God's will. That's a pretty good voice from Dr. Graham, isn't it? God's word is God's will, and God's will is God's word. If you go through life-making decisions, and you do not seek the counsel of the truth of that great book, the God-breathed word, you're going to make some wrong decisions. Sorry. Another important aspect of the testing part is prayer. If we truly ask God for guidance, he will give it. Have you ever prayed, God, if this isn't you, close the door? (laughs) Yeah, we've prayed that, Ron, and I've prayed that a few times. The Apostle James writes this in in, in James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know what? James can be a little harsh. You read James, and he beats you, off, he beats you along the side of the head every now and then. But you know what he says here? Ask God for guidance. He's not going to criticize you. He's going to help you. It says without finding fault. I like that in this verse. Without finding fault. Amen. God will help you if you ask him. God will guide you if you ask him. God will lead you if you ask him. Any of you need wisdom? I sure do. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given unto you. There's direction and inspiration in the scriptures. There's direction here in the Psalms, in the Psalms, about seeking guidance from God. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. I love this. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. What a great verse of Scripture. Psalm 32, verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. He doesn't just counsel and instruct. He counsels and instructs in love. In love, with his loving eye on you. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In the dark days, 
of decision making, he promises to be there for us. Verse in Proverbs that we looked at last week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him. And He will make your paths straight. Friends, the straight path. You could take those words out of there. And you could put in the will of God. The straight path. So testing, testing, seek the Lord in prayer, he will give wisdom. He promised us that. So we are to test. Secondly, point two, we are to approve. We are to approve. This could be flyover country, careful. This could be one you kind of skip over. I think this one's vital. We are able to approve. I've thought a lot about this part of this passage. I think that looking at it in context, we can put the word confirm in here. So we are to test. We are to approve. I think here the idea is confirming. We are to confirm. A vital part of this process of determining God's will in our lives is in confirmation, approval. We take a situation, we take an opportunity, we test it or examine it in the light of the Word of God, and then we need to confirm or approve it. When I think of confirming or approving, I think it involves other people. Okay? I think approving, confirming, is not a one-person deal. It's a, it's a community deal. It's a relationship deal. It involves other people. This is one of the blessings. Friends, this is one of the blessings of living the Christian life in community. Amen. Approval or confirmation from others happens in all walks of life. It certainly happens in our work life, doesn't it? Yeah. Managers. I are one. Managers are always examining or approving or disapproving proposals, aren't they? The wise manager weighs all aspects of the positives and negatives before making a decision. It happens regularly in marriage. A married couple looks at a decision, weighs the positives and negatives, and then the husband sees the wisdom and agrees with the wife. <laughs> it happens in parenting. We as parents look at situations in our children's lives and if we have the opportunity, we give approval or disapproval or counsel. Even when, they're, even when they're in their 30s like ours are. I'm not even going to go into whether they listen or not. 
Let me ask you a very pointed, serious question here. When confronted with a big decision, are there people in your life who you can trust to give godly counsel? When confronted with a big decision, are there people in your life who you can trust to give godly counsel? Approval, confirmation, or maybe steer your thinking in a different way. Have you ever had anybody help you that way? Have you ever had anybody look at you and go, so yeah, I hear you, but did you think about this? <laughs> Have you thought about this? We live this life in community, and it is God's desire that we live and grow in the unity of the body. But let me tell you, my friend, having brothers and sisters in your life who can help you test and approve situations and decisions, that's big time. That's golden. There have been so many times in my life when a word from a brother makes the difference. Listen to Proverbs 19 and 20. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. We need partners in this life. I submit to you, we need partners in this life more than any generation before us. Amen. A part of this important aspect of the Christian life is humility, the H word, I'm sorry. There is a humbling aspect to opening up to others for help. We are taught to be self-sufficient, aren't we? To make it on our own, we are taught to think for ourselves. God imparts his wisdom in that if we live in community around others who care and love us and us for them, the great benefits of shared godly wisdom will be ours. Can I say that again? God imparts his wisdom in that if we live in community around others who care and love us and us for them, the great benefit of shared godly wisdom will be ours. Amen. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine shared with me his principle of decision-making. He calls it the three C's principle. Calling, confirmation, circumstance. The three C's. Calling, say them. Calling, confirmation, and circumstance. <laughs> And then he gets a twinkle in his eye and he looks at me and he says, 
when those three things line up, go for it. That's been wise and lasting counsel in my life, and I've shared it with numerous people through the years. Calling. Confirmation. Circumstance. And I'll not go down the rabbit trail of elaborating on each one, although it was quite tempting in the context of preparing, <laughs> preparing this message. I could preach probably 20 minutes on each of the three of these, but I won't. <laughs> Let's not, she says. Third, point three. Point three. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. I can't think of anything more rewarding or more fulfilling that finding the center of God's will for your life and walking in it. I can't think of anything more rewarding and more fulfilling than finding the center point of the will of God and walking in it. No, no, not walking in it, thriving in it. Thriving in it. Once tested and approved, it's time to go for it. You know anyone who, who fits that? Do you know anyone who has truly discovered who they are in Christ? Let me tell you, you will recognize that person. That person who is walking in the center of God's will for their life will have some characteristics that shine a light all around. They will have peace. They will have joy. They will have contentment. They will have a confidence and an assurance that, that how they are living and the things that they are involved in matter. There will be a praise to God on their lips and a song in their heart. There will be a compassion for others and a kindness that radiates all around. Do you know anybody who has found the center of God in their life and are walking in it? Looking at this part of the verse and reading after some of the writers and commentators and theologues, there are two schools of thought here. I want to share an aspect of both. That last phrase says, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Good, pleasing, perfect. One school of thought that I have read is this. Each of these is a level or a stage of the will of God for your life. The thought is, by these writers, that you, have made, you may have attained the good level of achieving the will of God, or you may have ascended to the pleasing level of the will of God, and then at the climactic point in life, you may have even arrived at the place of the perfect will of God. And although there is value for striving for a higher and higher level of alignment with God, as we talked about last week, I don't believe that God has us on a constant search for the next level. I don't believe he has us on that treadmill. I don't agree with these writers. 
I don't think good is one level, pleasing is another level, and perfect is another level. I think God encourages us to go deeper, to find more, to attain a further level of his will. He is loving and patient and kind and always willing to lead and guide us, not to some level of achievement, but toward himself. Instead of that mode of thinking, friends, so you understand what, I'm, what I was sharing? Instead of that mode of thinking, I believe that these three words, good, pleasing, and perfect, are simply the writer's description of the will of God for our walk in life. I think they are three words that Paul uses here to describe the will of God in our life. God's purpose and will for us is good. God's purpose and will for us is good. It is good for us, and it is good for those around us. God's purpose and will for us is pleasing. It is pleasing to us. It is pleasing to those around us. And it is pleasing to God. It honors Him. God's purpose and plan and, and, and will for us is perfect. Why is it the perfect plan? Let me show you in the scripture why God's plan is perfect. Okay? Okay? Iconic verse of scripture, Jeremiah 29. Iconic verse of scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. That's why God's will for your life is the perfect plan. Why is God's will for my life perfect? It's because it originates in the mind and the heart of the Father. Look at the first words of this verse. He says, I know. Say, I know. He says, I know the plans I have for you. When your department manager comes up to you and he says, I've got a plan. What's your level of confidence? <laughs> depends, on I, depends on if I'm your manager or not. <laughs> Listen, God says, I know the plan I have for you. That's pretty good life management. Huh? It originates. Listen, the plan of God for your life originates in the heart of the Father. It starts there. It's, and, and, and we read these great scriptures that, 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 that tell us how he knows us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. 
I know the plans I have. God clearly knows you. He created you. He saved you through his son Jesus. He placed in you his Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and comfort you. Reading this verse, and you realize that God, God's plan is crafted for you. And it's good. He loves you and his purpose in you is absolutely for the best for you. His plan is a good plan. It's a pleasing plan. It's a perfect plan. Good, pleasing, and perfect. It's a transforming plan. Chuck Swindoll writes about finding and following the will of God. Chuck says this, Your call will become clear as your mind is transformed by the reading of Scripture and the internal work of God's Spirit. The Lord never hides His will from us. In time, as you obey, the call first to follow, your destiny will unfold before you. The difficulty will lie in keeping other concerns from diverting your attention. Steve, I wasn't going to talk a lot about distractions here. I was just going to kind of end it with this. One of the most important aspects in this day of finding and following the good pleasing and perfect will of God in your life is distraction. I think I went on a rant about distraction a few sermons back. There are more distractions today than have ever been in the history of mankind, I think, in so many ways. If if we get ourselves centered and laser focused on good, pleasing, and perfect. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Never let it rest until, no, sorry. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Good, pleasing, and perfect. If we can get ourselves constantly thinking in that regard, in small decisions and big decisions, in long stretches of life and just single days and moments, if we can stay focused and laser-centered on God's purpose and will and desire for our lives, good, pleasing, and perfect. According to the Proverbs scripture that we read, the path will be straight, not diverted off of this and diverted over to this. I want to end this series in the same verse in the same reading that we began this series Romans 12 1 therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will.